Hey, hey. Okay, so you guys know that I've moved my platform over to Patreon, and that's patreon.com slash Jamie Glowacki. So everything is moved there. That's where I'm now housing all my parenting content. For a dollar a month, you can access all the episodes of my podcast, but no worries if you don't want to do any financial commitment at all. We'll continue to release selected episodes here on your favorite listening platform. And just so you know, I also put up free public posts and mini podcasts on that Patreon page. So all you have to do is head over to that main page, patreon.com slash Jamie Glowacki, and you can see my free public posts and mini podcasts. Head over there to check it all out. And now on to today's show. Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki, and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, But Holy Fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hey, hey, you guys. Today's episode is going to be the mother of all episodes. This episode is sort of a follow-up from the go-to-your-room strategies, the tantrum episode, and then the negative association episode. And I want to super give a shout out to two friends, Jen and Kat, who really helped me muddle through the minutiae of this topic, which is again, a follow-up. So one of the things that has been consistently confusing here on Patreon for listeners of my podcast is the difference of when you would use the go to your room strategy or when you would hold space, like in the tantrum episode. And in the negative association episode, I did talk a lot about the harm reduction model. I talked about, you know, boundaries and fences and and that kind of thing. But I, I think it warrants even more explanation because the go to your room strategy is not a timeout. And it often feels like it's abandoning the child. And I think There's so much when I work privately with a client that I work intuitively and it always resolves and we always get a good outcome. (laughs) But pulling it apart for something like a podcast has been a little challenging. I am always questioning my work. I am always learning new things and I am always trying to make sure I'm giving you guys the absolute best information that I personally can give you. Yeah. I will never, ever have an absolute answer. I will never pretend to know every kid in every situation. And one of the things, you know, if, you've, if you're familiar with Oh Crap Potty Training, you know that I completely always defer to you, the parent. You are the expert of your child. I simply have a Mary Poppins bag of tips and tricks. That being said, I also really want to touch on something. A couple of weeks ago, I went to Utah for a plant medicine retreat and it just so happened that everybody on the retreat had kids, a large amount out of 10 people, seven had 15 year olds. So that was kind of cool because I have a 15 year old, (laughs) but there were a lot of tears about parenting and it struck me like a bolt of lightning. And I think I've said this in, in many different kinds of ways, but it really struck me. You guys, we are doing something completely new. Okay, we are the very first generation ever to say, oh my God, what worked in the last generation 
was fucked up and we want to do it differently. We are in brand new territory and that's why it's so confusing. Now, I think it's also confusing to have the internet and bunches of people and, you know, people who think they're experts, actual experts giving you too much information, too much conflicting information, but also it just really dawned on me, holy shit, what we're doing has never been done before. Now, you guys are here with me because you trust me because I make sense to you. (laughs) But, you know, having a 15-year-old, I have a little bit of a heads up on you, right? Because you guys are dealing with toddlers. Some of you have six, seven, eight-year-olds. I have a little bit of a jump. I'm still figuring it out too. So I never claim to have, like, I can't say that anything I ever say is absolute. So just always know that. And I will always try to, you know, sift through things I've told you if it's not sitting well. And so one of the things that just, I couldn't quite figure out is how to explain to you the difference between go to your room strategy or hold space strategy. When is go to your room abandoning? When is it not? And all these other things that people ask me and comment on. So oftentimes the go to your room strategy feels like it's abandoning the child. Yeah. And so the reason why it can feel abandoning is because it can be done in an abandoning way. Yeah. If, like I said, in that episode, the negative association episode, if you can tolerate and you have a high distress tolerance for your child's meltdown, regardless of what the meltdown is, yeah, then you can and probably should hold space for that child, yeah? And that means presence with inaction. And I'll say a lot more about that, okay? If you cannot hold that space, for any reason. And those reasons could be very real struggles, okay? Then that's where you would use the go to your room strategy for harm reduction. Real struggles. What would real struggles be? Let's say you have a parent who is dying. Let's say you worked all day. I know right now we're still kind of getting back to real life after the pandemic, right? So parents are leaving for work, kids back in daycare. You get home at 5.30, 6 o'clock. It's a clusterfuck, right? You probably cannot be (laughs) present, yeah? That's where you might want to bring your child to their room and settle without you, yeah? Another real struggle, You have a wound, you know you have a wound, and you can't co-regulate without trying to stop the feeling. Yes, and I'm going to talk a lot about co-regulation in a minute. So you know a lot of the parents I work with have a sort of PTSD wound of loud. So they grew up in a chaotic, loud, yelling household. So as soon as their child starts to get loud in a reaction, in a meltdown, in a fit, right, the parent dysregulates almost immediately. So that's a wound. Okay. If you can't co-regulate without stopping, trying to stop the feeling, right? So that'd be like, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. Here, settle down, settle down. That kind of language that's trying to stop the feeling. Yeah. If you use the go to your room strategy and a get out of my face because I can't stand you. Yeah. That's abandoning. Okay. And a harm reduction model for whatever reason, you can't hack it and you're going to lose your shit. 
again, that's where the damage can happen, right? That's where you can go psycho. That's where you can start saying catastrophic things. You always, you never, I'm the only one, right? (laughs) So we're familiar with those. So ideally, we would never leave another person in distress, okay? We would never. It's it's horrible to be in distress. And even as a, a child thinking, you know, just about everything that causes a tantrum is distress, we would like to co-regulate. And that's where I feel like most parents lie, right? That's where you feel like I, I need to be with my kid. Co-regulation for me is presence within action. So you're not giving in, you're not trying to fix it. Oh, let me let me make you a new sandwich. I, I know you're very, I can see you're really upset that I cut that into triangles, but let me make you a new sandwich. And that's fixing it, yeah? Uh, don't attempt to fade it. Oh, 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 shh, shh, shh. it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. That's attempting to fade it, yeah? There is some psychological damage that happens when you stop the feeling, yes? When you interrupt the feeling. The feeling should uh, be allowed to run its circuit, run its circle. When you lose your shit, that is also where some damage is done, right? But let's stop and talk for a minute because I'm saying regulate a lot. And I think there's some confusion or I've seen some confusion, especially online about what regulation means. It's one of those words, self-regulate, co-regulate, dysregulate has become very ubiquitous and very watered down, very similar to like um, the words mindful, good job. What does regulation mean? You know, the strict definition is like to bring order that can be regulating. In a parenting context, I think of regulating as like a calm, as a homeostasis, right? You can be irritated by something, but it doesn't throw you off. It's a baseline of calm. And I think we all have moments where we feel it and we love it. And then something throws us off and we get dysregulated, right? Parents, and when I say parents, I mean largely moms, can get dysregulated through resentment, which is boundary setting, or we can get dysregulated through childhood wounds. One way you can tell the difference is that if you go zero to 60, if your child has an immediate sort of reaction, you know, they throw their plate at you or they, you know, arch their 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 backs and they immediately go into some sort of distress and you get activated, you get triggered, you go zero to 60, you can feel that you're dysregulated. You don't even know how it happens. Yeah, (laughs) that is indicative of a childhood wound. If there's a slow burn, you can kind of feel yourself getting dysregulated. You can kind of feel things coming on. That's usually resentment and a boundary issue. I have been learning about co-regulation through polyvagal theory, and this is just a whole rabbit hole if you want to go down. There's a lot about it right now, about the vagus nerve, polyvagal theory. And this is where I have found a hot spot of confusion in regulating and co-regulating. So co-regulating is you would regulate in the presence of another person. Yeah. And I was kind of confused about it until my friend Kat told me, you know, dogs, dogs are really great co-regulators. And I was like, oh, you know, because I have my Maverick (laughs) and they really are the best co-regulators because if you're upset, they know you're upset. They're there with you. 
they don't have the words to say nonsense words, right? They can only put their little head on your lap and they are there, they're present, but they're not really doing too, too much, right? To, to bait it, to fix it. They're just there offering themselves, usually very calm with you, right? And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, I get it. So then I went through, I went down this rabbit hole of co-regulation. There's a classic, if you Google it, you're going to pull up a lot of classic psychology definitions. And I'm here to say that it's it's really some bullshit. So bear with me. <laughs> Largely, the definitions that you'll find on Google is something like this, that co-regulation refers to the social relationship and the way one can adjust themselves with interacting with another in order to maintain a regulated state right? So one can adjust themselves when interacting with another in order to maintain a regulated state. Now, I really hate that definition and all the ones that kind of sound like that, because I think this is the spot where that gentle parenting goes wrong, because that definition implies that you should do something to stop, to move, to shift, to hide, to fade the feeling your child is having. Yeah. And that's where it gets fucked up. You don't have to do something. You have to be something. And I'm going to say this continually in this episode. You must let the emotion run its course. And to do that, you absolutely have to be regulated yourself. So the most important things are one, let the emotion play out. Let that feeling run its course. And two, do not let yourself become dysregulated. I'll say more about that in a second. Wikipedia, I think, has a better definition of co-regulation, and that is a bi-directional linkage of oscillating emotional channels between partners, which contributes to the emotional stability of both partners. Why I really like this is bi-directional linkage. It's a pretty fancy word. What I take that to mean is an energetic charge between two people. Yeah, there's a flow of energy of that circuitry. Now, this makes sense in a real world way. Your child, you know, a meltdown situation, you have to lend them your calm, not calm the child down, but be the calm in the room. And I love this because, you know, five episodes later, these are the words I've been looking for, right? Is that you have to lend your calm, not calm the child down. The, the gentle parenting philosophy and the idea that you always need to attend to your child's feeling, I've been maintaining that you can't help a child self-regulate. You can't do something to help a child self-regulate. You can be something to help your child self-regulate. And to me, that makes all the difference in the world. And it's such a subtle shift in language, but I'm thrilled because I feel like, oh my God, this is what I've been trying to tell you guys. Yeah. So again, real life meltdown situation, you have to lend your calm, not calm the child down be the calm. Okay. <laughs> so that's why I keep coming back to this phrase of presence. And I mean, extreme presence, not disconnected in any way, shape or form with 
in action. Stop doing for your child in distress and start being with your child in distress. Lend them your calm. Doesn't that make sense? I, I'm I'm so thrilled. <laughs> but let's dip back into the most important thing here, letting the emotion run its course. So as luck would have it, this, this episode is so mind-blowing to me because as soon as I finished the negative association episode, literally my world like crashed with all this theory, this polyvagal theory co-regulation. It's like all I was seeing on Instagram. I took a course with this amazing woman, Kimberly Ann Johnson, years ago. She popped back up into Facebook and um, a, a, an ad on Facebook, and it was all about polyvagal theory and co-regulating and parasympathetic nervous system and working with our nervous system. And it was like all these things, like the universe threw this shit in my face. So I think it's just It's really amazing. Anyway, I'm learning from this awesome woman, Kimberly Ann Johnson. You can look her up. She is very, very cool. And she studies polyvagal theory and she works with trauma and how it lives in the body. And one of the things she says is animals in nature don't experience trauma, right? Humans and animals in captivity do. And largely because in nature, they're left to run its course, even if it's death or injury, whatever that is, they howl, they scream, they, it runs its course. And it's this circuitry, that emotional circuitry that runs out. And so it's not stopped. And how she says it, which I think is really poetic, she likens it to a skip in a record. If you guys, I may be dating myself here. If you have records, if you know records, and when you'd get a skip in it, right, it would play over and over and over and over again. She moves on with this like super beautiful metaphor that you want to repair your skip so you can play your heartfelt song, which I just love. This resonates with me because I feel it's those skips, right? That's where our wounds are. And you know that, right? We know that because we get to a skip, whatever that is, our trauma, our wounds, and boot, we play the same thing over and over again. We we feel powerless. We go, oh my God, I just, I yelled at my kids again. I yelled at my kids again. I yelled at my kids again. I yelled at my kids again, right? It's a record skipping. It's where our wounds are. And remember, we're not quantifying trauma and we're not, we're not saying, oh, but I didn't really have trauma. Oh my God, you guys, trauma happens. I'm going to just say this again. And I know we went through it all in January in the trauma episodes, but you can't quantify the trauma. Okay. However, it gets lodged in your body, it gets lodged in your body. And, and I've used myself in examples. And one of the fascinating things to me was like the first couple of years of therapy, of course, we went through the big trauma that I had experienced. I had, I had violence and sexual abuse in my childhood. I had all this stuff and I was cutting and it was crazy. Right. And you would think, oh my God, yeah, that's the big trauma. Heal that. That was like not even the work, like getting through that was kind of the easy part. It was like, it was like the other smaller traumas growing up in an alcoholic household, not the alcohol, not the abuse. It was what was under that, the family dynamic, the insidiousness of, of not being seen, of not being heard all these subtle traumas. Yeah. So even if your trauma, you can't quantify it, however your trauma was. So I, whenever I work with somebody on their trauma stuff, they say, well, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't like my mother beat me. It was, you know, we always had food on the table. Mm -mm. It's how not being seen, how not being heard got lodged in your body. Yeah. So 
We still want to deal with these small skips, however they are. There's still a skip. It doesn't matter if it was big trauma, little trauma. It doesn't matter that you want to let it flow till the end. And even now, what happens, like, for example... I hate confrontation. I hate when people are mean to me and and I'm on Instagram and I'm a person who has an opinion about parenting, about potty training and people come at me with shit and it makes my heart race. I go zero to 60. I feel like I'm going to get beat. I feel like I'm going to get hit. It really makes me sick to my stomach. And I have been always like trying to calm myself down, right? Like, oh, it's okay. You're you're a grown-up now. It's the computer. You can walk away. Nobody can actually hit you through the computer. I have this like dialogue. And then I realized, oh my God, I'm not letting my own emotion play out. And so I'm playing with this even in my, my own real life. And I'm like, oh, well, how about if I just feel that feeling? How about if I get sick to my stomach and I feel that feeling and I let it run its course? And holy fuck, you guys, it's amazing. It like you you really can heal it if you don't try to stop the feeling in yourself. And it can be scary and you may need to work with a therapist with this. I know Kimberly Ann Johnson actually has worked with like she was sexually attacked and she worked with a, a physical therapist who like wrestled with her so she could actually feel all the fear, all the physical fear. And I I think that's just really cool. So all my way of saying this actually plays out in real life and I can attest to that. So that's how we heal and patch the skip in ourselves, right? We want to not create the skip in the first place with our kids. And that means letting the feeling, letting that emotion run its course. Now, okay, that's all well and good. However, if Again, for any reason you are dysregulated in a small way or even a big way, you can not be present. And then it's better to utilize the go to your room strategy because it's not abandoning, it's a safety valve. Yeah. It's better to regulate alone than attempt to regulate with someone who's not present. And I think we have all had that experience with a spouse, with another partner, right? Where we have felt the other person's not quite there. And it is emotionally infuriating. It activates everything. It doesn't make things better. It makes things worse. It's maddening. Now, I'm sure you can imagine a time that's happened with another adult. And we are adults. I'm sure some adults are just fucking so wounded. It's like, you can't, they're never going to be present. Right. But we felt it before that a person's present, then not present. Now imagine attempting, imagine being a little kid. Imagine being three, your skin's turned inside out. You're brand new to the planet. Your head's fucking exploding with all these circuitries gone amok. And the one person who means everything to you is right there in front of you, but not present. And you're looking to borrow their calm in a very unconscious way. And it's not there. And I'm sure you guys have heard or seen this experiment. You can Google it. I mean, we learned about it in like Psych 101. It's an experiment where they have the mom in front of a baby and she is, you know, she's happy and interacting with the child in the interaction, you know, the child smiling and interacting back. And then the mom gets uh, very angry and has like an angry face. And the child the child's in a little bit of distress, but, you know, still tries to like look at the mom and and still tries to interact, even if it's slightly negative. And then the third time they have the mom just look very, very blank and give no looking right at the child, but, or, you know, kind of maybe not eye contact, but 
giving no emotion whatsoever. And the child goes into extreme distress in a very short amount of time. And it's really worth looking up the experiment to see this because it's it's horrifying how hard, how quickly the child goes into extreme distress. So again, if you're attempting to be with your child and you're not present, and guys, when I say not present, it, you're human. It could simply be that you were in the middle of making dinner and you're just disconnected from the child. So don't think this has to be like, you know, this huge dissociative episode that you're having with your child, right? It can be like just real life fucked with you and you just don't have the patience right now or you can't settle your own body. That's okay too, right? So just know that it doesn't doesn't have to be this like this fucked up thing, right? The base level that your child, when they're dysregulated, the base level from the limbic system is, am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? And so if you are disconnected, you are not safe. Yeah. It's an empty void. And that can be my experience of that, even with other adults is like, leave me alone to be in somebody's presence. Who's not present and is disconnected is to me more traumatizing than just leave me alone to my own devices. I can figure this out on my own, okay? Now, all that being said, we have to talk about corrective action because I maintain that feelings and reactions are two different things. And it's this has been so tricky trying to to differentiate these two for, for people, especially here in a larger, broader spectrum, yeah? I always say like reactions are kind of bullshit. They're kind of nonsense and you will feel yourself roll your eyes and a feeling is typically big and needs to be sat with and that you will feel this immense compassion for your child. You will be like, oh my God, please come here. Let me fold you into a hug. And so that can be, it can be very confusing to parents. And it was funny because I've had such a hard time explaining this. And then I was talking to my friend Kat and she was talking about her daughter. Her daughter was losing a tooth. And so her tooth was sore. And so her kid was like dysregulating because of that. And she said, so, you know, there was no corrective action. So I could just sit with it. And I was like, yes, that's the phrase. There was no corrective action. And so we went back and forth and I was like, give me more examples of that because I'm trying to figure this out, how to, how to explain this better. And so she had written to me, So losing a pet. So let's go through feelings. Yeah. And I'm giving Kat 100% of the credit (laughs) and she's listening. So losing a pet, anything dying, even like a plant, right? Your goldfish, any change in nanny, daycare, teacher, other caregiver situation, a deployment, an initial return to work. You know, this is like a mom returning to work after maternity leave or, you know, after the pandemic, this is not every morning, acute physical pain, a canceled play date. Yeah. A friend being mean, a park unexpectedly closed, a new school, new house, missing the ice cream truck, right? Like you tried to chase it and and they didn't see you. Something scary, leaving grandma after a visit. Not if you see grandma very often, right? Anything else And you're teaching about how to weather disappointment. Yeah. And so you're doing a huge disservice if you over empathize and you sit with the child. And that's where we create these like snowflake monsters, right? Because we attend to every, if we attend to every single feeling, then the child gets the impression that every single feeling matters. Yeah. And then we whittled it down even further. So the themes are major change and surprise change. So change in a place, change in care. Yeah. Change in body. So that could be pain. And then this is 
in polyvagal theory, this is what explains that change equals activation of the limbic system. Am I safe? And I just love, thank you, thank you, thank you, Kat, for working that through with me. <laughs> I just love the, um, I just love that. It's it's all about that change. So those are big feelings. Those are things that hopefully, if you're regulated as the parent, that you can work with the child, yeah? So the most important part of all of this thing, right, is this equation. The most important part of this equation is can you, the adult, be regulated? And this is so tricky. So I want to give an example of Maverick, (laughs) my toddler, because we recently got chickens and we got 10 chickens. And of course, Maverick is six months old now or seven months. And he is like, (laughs) woohoo. So we had the chickens in a little coop and we wanted to train Maverick to be with the chickens and not eat the chickens or torture the chickens or play too rough with the chickens. So he would go up to the coop and he was kind of clawing on the cage, you know, And my first reaction was like, Maverick, no, Maverick, no. And I was being quite sharp and I didn't, I hate that. I hate hearing that in myself because I never think being super sharp is the answer in these situations. And I was like, no, you want to love him. You want to work with this in love. And then I very quickly realized that my last dog I got when she was nine years old and she had tons of bad habits and I had a little like, PTSD. She was, she was a bad dog. I loved her, but she couldn't be in any company of any other dogs. And she had this, like, she was highly reactive, even on the street, she was highly reactive to other dogs. And so I had this like PTSD, this like wound, if you will, about this dog, my dog, I've been on top of Maverick with his training because I want this like really flexible, great behavior in my dog, even though he is just a dog and he's going to make mistakes. And so I was realizing that I was dysregulated. I wasn't just being sharp from like a regulated place, which you can, you know, you can be regulated, but still say no in a very sharp manner. But I could feel my inner thermometer. I was going zero to 60 and I could feel that I was getting dysregulated. So then I calmed myself very quickly. I just by breathing, breathing into my back and I sat with him And I just sat down and Maverick sat right next to me and I pet him long strokes. Mm. And I started as this gentle hum, like a coo. Mm. Yeah, those are our chickens. Yeah. And he just sat and, oh my God, it was amazing. But because I could feel everything I've been talking about in this episode, I could feel the co-regulation happening. I could feel my calm was giving him calm and I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't pulling on him. I wasn't giving him a sharp tug of his leash. I wasn't doing anything corrective. Yeah. I was just sitting with him and being there. So I just, and he calmed down (laughs) and now he just sits and watches the chickens and it's so cool. So I just wanted to tell you guys that because that is co-regulation. Now there has to be occasionally some corrective action. Had Mav continued to go after the chickens, I probably would have put him in the house. And so when your child is in those feeling places, those big feeling places, 
it would be amazing if you could gently sit with them. No talking, right? Or maybe talking, but just very soft, soft tones in a very gentle voice that's rhythmic. Yeah. And maybe long strokes down their back. Touch is amazing for co-regulation. Again, the trick is not trying to calm the child down, but being the calm for the child. Does that make sense? It's such a hair of difference. So if you can do that and the long strokes on the back activate the parasympathetic nervous system. Now, the difference is your child has a reaction. Now, a reaction is, again, the red cup, not the blue cup. I want this, the demands, the dysregulated because they want something you won't give them, right? Those are reactions. And if possible, you know, you can sit with the child, but I do think there's a corrective action because if you... If you give in again to every feeling, it's just we then we put this like importance on our feelings and our feelings are valid, but they're not right. 99% of the time, they're not right in anybody else's reality except ours, right? And so teaching your child, you know what? That's cool. Have your feeling, but please do it in your room. And that is a bit of a corrective action. And so it's not punitive, but it is like, you know, have have all your feelings because again that's that's the most important thing have all your feelings but you can go to your room and settle your body and all the time the clients i work with the go to your room strategy really does work because the child settles on their own and then they come out and they go okay i am all set so i hope that that gets <laughs> i hope that that clarified a lot of things the key of course is in us, the parents, being regulated. And again, I think that's where the gentle parenting movement misses the boat a little, is in all situations, you should sit with your child, right? So I don't think it's all situations. And in all situations, you should be able to co-regulate. And I think that just doesn't factor in the stresses of real life, what you might be going through in a tiny way or in a bigger way. It just doesn't take those things into consideration. Yeah. And the key is, of course, in us being regulated is we're right back to the beginning of all our bullshit, which is boundaries and resentment and fixing our childhood wounds. (laughs) And so we just can't escape that. Now, I did want to address after the go to your room strategy, a mama had asked me about processing what just happened. And I maintain that when the child does come out of their room or when the child settles, when the tantrum has subsided, any high emotion comes down and things are all regulated. Both parties are regulated. Everybody can move on. I maintain that it's best not to process what just happened. But this mama's child wants to process and said, well, I, you know, I wanted the blue cup. That's why I was so angry. If your child wants to process what just happened, that is totally cool. And you can role play and you can go through other things that the child might have done. Yeah, that might be a situation of like, okay, well, maybe next time you can ask very nicely if you can have the blue cup. And and if I can help you, I will try to, but the blue cup was in the dishwasher. You know what I mean? Like you can process it and you can, you can go through it. The difference is the child has activated the processing and that is totally fine. 
What you don't want to do is you don't want to activate the processing because it can feel like just shame all over again. The child knows. Your child knows that they dysregulated. They know that they just had a meltdown. They may not be cognizant. I Most kids don't remember things they do or say in the peak of a tantrum. They know that something went wrong. They know that they totally lost their shit. They know that they that they dysregulated. And so to bring it up again can just activate that shame. So and and again, it's not that you don't ever want to say it again, but you want to say it in a not hot moment. Just coming off of something, you know, think about any time you've been really upset. You don't want to turn around and then be told why you got upset was wrong. <laughs> You know what I mean? You kind of want to forget about it. And then in a non-hot moment, maybe process it and say, you know, next time we can try to do better. And if it's something that has to do with location or another person, or you might say like, I don't know, carrying through the, the blue cup, not the red cup, it might be dinner time that might, the meltdown might've been at lunch. And at dinner time, you might want to say, you know, Hey, I'm getting ready to put your cup on the table. How about you choose your color since we had a hard time with that at lunch. But if you, if, as long as you give it some distance from the meltdown, from the activation, you should be, you should be all set and you can help your child better master that. Next episode on this, I'm going to go through how we can help the child have some better skills in these moments. This, I didn't want this episode to be too long and I didn't want it to be, I gave you a lot of information and I hope it was clarifying, but I didn't want to muck up, you know, with too, too much. As always, you guys work on your boundaries, fix your childhood wounds and rock on. All right. I'm going to sign off for today. You can always go to jamieglowacki.com for the super cool latest updates, including the launch of my new book, Yummy New Book Presale Treats, when we release new episodes, and how to work with me directly. And of course, if you need any potty training help, there's a handy link there that will take you to all my potty training resources, including all my courses. That's the Oh Crap Potty Training online course, my pooping solutions course, and my night training supplement. And if you need additional help, how to book with a certified Oh Crap consultant. That's all at jamieglowacki.com. Have a beautiful day and rock on.